and welcome back to TV Watch, a podcast from Digital TV Europe, looking at the biggest news and trends in the worlds of broadcasting, streaming, and everything else to do with the TV industry in Europe and further afield. I'm Jonathan Easton, Deputy Editor of Digital TV Europe, and on today's show, it's a return to the old new normal as the UK plunges back into lockdown and any hopes of getting back to the old, old normal in the sports world have been slightly dampened. I speak with Omdia Senior Research Manager Tim Westcott about the ongoing dilemma facing the English Premier League in regards to how it deals with broadcasting all this football going on. Plus, we discuss the botched Project Big Picture and the re-emergence of that pesky European Super League. Cast your mind back to the halcyon days of June 2020 in the UK. The sun was shining, the country was starting to ease out of a lockdown which had been in place since the end of March, and, most importantly, the footy was back. The talks around Project Restart manifested in a truncated race to the finish line, a veritable festival in football in which every match was available to watch, with games pretty much every day of the week. Such was the desire to wrap up the 2019-20 season that even the BBC was given a handful of matches to broadcast for the first time in the Premier League's history. The league title was pretty much wrapped up before the shutdown, and most games left little to play for from a competitive aspect, but still, fans tuned in to watch the football they had so sorely missed, even if it was accompanied by questionable piped-in crowd noises. The 2020-21 season kicked off less than two months later and is now trying to catch up to where the season would be had it started as planned in August. Broadcast-wise, the season started much the same as it ended, with all matches being available to watch, though worth noting that that was after a U-turn from the league, which initially had scheduled the regular allocation of matches for broadcast without taking all of that into consideration. It then offered a paltry extra 20% of matches before then going back to saying, right, just all the matches. But while fans were revelling, it was quickly becoming apparent that this was not last. Sky Sports recorded the biggest day in its history on Sunday, October 4th, thanks to the double header of Tottenham's 6-1 thrashing of Man United at Old Trafford and the upset of the season as Aston Villa beat champions Liverpool 7-2 at home. But despite that, reports started to emerge that viewer fatigue may have been settling in. Similarly, the league was reportedly growing increasingly anxious that handing out all of these extra games to broadcasters at no extra cost would devalue the product and those all-important domestic rights deals. So it was that, on October 12th, the league announced that it would be making the matches which had not been scheduled for broadcast, nine per match day, available for purchase on pay-per-view at £14.95 a go. The league clarified that broadcasters would only be taking the money required to cover the cost of production, nothing else, while the rest was going to plug some of the £100 million per month that clubs are missing out in lost match day revenue. Predictably, the decision was met with shock and outrage, with the chair of Newcastle United Supporters Trust highlighting the fact that the Premier League clubs spent a total of £1 billion on new players across the transfer window, while many also furloughed staff and received government loans. So now, a month later, the league is once again heading into an international break, during which it will decide whether or not to continue this pay-per-view experiment, revert back to the previous blanket coverage, or come up with a new plan. Joining me to discuss what has been going on is Omdia Senior Research Manager Tim Westcott. We initially spoke a couple of weeks ago on the topic of the Premier League and pay-per-view, but we are chatting now again 
because so much has really changed in that period of time. Can you really tell us what is going on? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, we live in strange times because nobody's essentially for for one reason, no one's going to 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 matches. Um, so what what's happened in the UK with the Premier League is that the additional matches the Premier League doesn't normally license for for domestic broadcast, which is quite a large number of games. Um, they're they're releasing them to their TV partners and will presumably continue to do that um, for as long as there are no crowds in the stands because what no crowds obviously means is is that there's no match day revenue for for the football clubs so the aim is to add um, another revenue stream from from uh, exploiting these new games and so far as you'll be aware the first month or so of of, of the Premier League, Matches were licensed to pay TV. So in other words, Sky and, and BT had additional matches. BBC had had matches on free for free to air. Uh, and Amazon also had some additional matches. What the Premier League has done in October is licensed matches only for pay-per-view to Sky and BT, who are the, their main domestic partners, pay TV partners. We don't know. I certainly haven't seen any data on how successful that's been. Um, it's certainly an experiment. The aim is to is to generate as much money as possible. You could infer from the fact that some matches were licensed to to um to pay TV and they haven't done that with this sort of second month of matches that maybe that wasn't big a big success in terms of generating money. And they're going to see if if they can do any better with pay-per-view. Okay, so I, I know you said you haven't really seen any figures, but I've seen a couple of reports. I'm not sure of how accurate they are, but basically outlining that it has pretty much underperformed. There was a report from the Daily Mail looking at the first nine of these matches, saying that they were hoping for uh, about 75,000 buys of matches featuring the top six clubs and 25,000 for lower profile teams but they only have managed an average across all of the matches of about 39,000, which has translated to just over £5 million. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say that that's, you know, assuming that those figures are kind of accurate, would you say that that is underperforming? It's it's difficult to know what to what to measure it against. I mean, you, you can measure it against what the Premier League gets from from licensing live matches uh, and at the moment that's up to about 12 million pounds per match so you know that that's the that's the very upper range that that's what sky is paying so i guess 5 million is is not too bad i think the the thing about pay per view is that it's a very much a um the, the results are fairly inconsistent i mean a match up between two of the top clubs particularly if it's in a time slot, like some of the matches have been at sort of 8pm on a Saturday, which is quite unusual time slot for Premier League matches. I don't think they've they've ever been played then before this season. But with everyone stuck at home, not able to go out, it's actually quite a good time slot. So you would think that a matchup between big clubs in that time slot, you would expect that to do pretty well in terms of buys. How many buys you know, boxing, big heavyweight boxing matches um, 
events which which are on Sky Sports generally get upwards of fifty to hundred thousand buys. So this isn't quite comparable with that. So you wouldn't expect that many, but something in the region of fifty to hundred thousand would would probably be quite a respectable um, return. But I don't think you could realistically expect to see that if if two of the clubs with um, with with sort of lower support um, were playing each other, because you know at the at the lower end of 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 the Premier League, um, you know the average match attendance is 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 probably about twenty thirty thousand. Obviously, you'd expect more people than that to buy a buy a TV event. But you know their their following just isn't a fraction of the same size as, as the following of the big clubs, and then with the big clubs you might get the sort of non-fans tuning in who who aren't necessarily fans of a particular club, um, but are prepared to pay to sort of see a match up between two big clubs. So I'd say if they've I, I mean if if they are making five million from a match, um, that's probably quite a respectable return because this is additional revenue. Well, I believe um, that was uh, five million across uh, across the first nine matches. Across the so, first nine matches. Yeah. Okay. So you know. Not yeah. That so much that's much. that's looking less. Um, you know, that's that's perhaps um, you know less impressive. But I think, like I said, that they're. There are benefits to putting matches free to air on BBC and, and Amazon if Amazon show their matches for no for no payment, um, because it it creates a it, it creates a bigger audience. It, it brings more people to to the event, but it doesn't create any additional revenue. And pay TV probably isn't going to pay a, a, a great deal more to have additional matches that they didn't necessarily sort of ask for. So I think, you know, it could be that that pay-per-view actually um, actually does become something which is, I, I think, in my opinion, it might become something which is a, a more regular fixture, possibly um, not beyond the end of the pandemic, but possibly in the next cycle of rights, there might be a package of games which are advertised um, for pay-per-view, um, which obviously is something that happened in the past. You know, Sky had Sky Box Office, and before that, I think one of the cable companies, NTL, had pay-per-view rights, uh, which weren't a big success. I think, I think, provided people feel that they're getting something extra that they wouldn't otherwise be getting, then you can see that there might be some some potential for it. But I think the whole reason you have to remember that that pay-per-view didn't work and that a sort of monthly um, subscription worked better is just the inconsistency of of, of the content in a way. Mm. The, the you know the whether you have a good match or a bad match or an entertaining match, you know, no one can really predict that. And that's that's the problem. If you you know if you watched a, a sort of three-all draw with brilliant goals you might be you might feel you're getting value for money for for 14.95 if it's a dow and nil nil draw you'll feel you've been ripped off um and that was um sorry go on yeah i was just going to say that was that was kind of the problem i mean pay-per-view has not completely died out in boxing but it's not the force that it was um and that's because there were a few sort of high profile bouts which didn't last very long so people felt like they paid um you know sometimes up to a hundred dollars for a few minutes of, of of entertainment it wasn't it wasn't really good value for money right um so it's it's interesting i look at what they do in the states in the coverage of the premier league um and obviously it's primarily hold held i think by nbc mm-hmm. and nbc will broadcast of i mean 
it, it's it's not quite equivalent because it's a foreign league, so there's obviously going to be a bit less interest. But NBC will broadcast you know X number of matches on their primary sports network, and then they'll have a I think it's they call it NBC Sports Gold, which is an extra add-on which gets you just blanket coverage of all of the matches. Do you think it would maybe work better if it was offered rather than all of these extra matches being on pay-per-view for 15 quid a go, if it, if it was like a, a Premier League, a dedicated Premier League channel, say, which had all of those matches which weren't going to be on um, Sky and uh, and BT, do you think that might be a bit more palatable for, for consumers? I think there's 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 one area that hasn't really been explored, um, which, which is a a Premier League owned and operated service, um, but they haven't really explored that because they preferred to um, sell the rights to third parties, and the relationship with Sky obviously goes back to the foundation of the Premier League, and in many ways it, it was it was thanks to Sky um, that the Premier League really sort of took off um, as a product, not just in the UK. But worldwide, um, so they they are obliged by law to, to to license the rights to other parties besides Sky. They have been quite content to do that because they've been able to obviously generate large amounts of, of revenue from licensing the domestic rights and now international rights. And you know whether whether there is some kind of you know it's it's really the for the premier league to decide whether they 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 make more matches uh, available for 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 the domestic broadcasters obviously as i mentioned outside the uk you know the entire program all, all 380 matches are actually available to, to to tv partners so i think it's a matter of whether um the premier league decides to license more matches clearly if um if if they have more partners, if there are more matches being licensed, then that sort of does slightly devalue um, the, the the deals that Sky and BT, if they're the main partners, have because you know they're not they're no longer the source of the bulk of the Premier League coverage. So it's a sort of it, it's a, a judgment needs to be made about you know at, at what point do they say we're not going to get as much money from licensing the rights to Sky and BT. Um, and whoever else wants to license the domestic rights, um, perhaps we need to find other partners. Perhaps we need to be a bit more flexible with how we deliver the matches to to the fans. And I think, you know, I feel that one way they might look to do that is by those sort of pass services that um, the U.S. sports have been have been quite um, proactive in 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 marketing. Um, people like the NBA and MLB. Um, and perhaps, you know, if you're an Aston Villa fan, then you can have a package where you see all of Aston Villa's home matches or all of Aston Villa's away matches, um, which is kind of the way it, it works with, with with some of the U.S. sports in the U.S. But that's that's, you know, that's that's not really on the horizon. That That would be quite a departure. I think where we might see more of this kind of experiment is perhaps you know one of one of the features of the project big picture plan which is quite interesting was that um some of the bigger clubs wanted the ability to license some of their own matches outside the uk that just means that at the moment all of the matches are licensed as a package so if you go to france then um one or the us you know one one broadcaster has all the rights but um clearly some some clubs have 
big followings in in other countries um, like Liverpool, Man United, etc. Um, have big followings in in countries like um, like Thailand and China. Um, so they, as part of Project Big Picture, they would have had the rights to a handful. I think only about sort of ten matches a year, which they probably would have put on their own channels or sold in some different way, perhaps just selling themselves to third parties. And the objective there would be for them to a make more money than they get from from the collective deal, but also perhaps to to have a bit more sort of control over their relationship with their fans in other parts of the world who they can reach in lots of other ways, but can't at the moment sort of reach with their live Premier League matches on their own channels. So, you know, we might see more more sort of experimentation with, with pay-per-view, either A, in a sort of pay-per-view package being licensed next time the rights are, are, are put up on, on sale, um, or B, um, slightly different arrangements for licensing the, the rights internationally. So just just still on the pay-per-view, we'll, we'll, we can kind of go back to the Project Big Picture and everything that's going on there uh, just after this. But one of the major criticisms that people had of the, um, of the pay-per-view model at the moment is the price, um, mm-hmm. $14.95. You know, you compare that to, as you were mentioning, some of these boxing events where they'll sometimes be a bit, you know, a big boxing bout will be, you know, £40 or something. But football fans have been very critical of the 1495 fee. A lot of supporters groups have rallied against it and well-covered campaigns to encourage fans to donate their uh, money to charity that they would have spent watching that. Do you think that if they were to drop the price down in the, the coming weeks and months, it would save a bit of face? Um, and similarly, if they were to open it up so that, like in the, the lower leagues, season ticket holders, if, the, if there was a, a streaming portal for existing season ticket holders who have paid for their tickets uh, to watch at no extra cost, do you think all of that would have would, would save them a bit of PR at the moment? It would certainly be a popular move to, to drop the price. It would just be about whether it would be, um, you know, whether there would be a point to them, you know, to, to, to them trying this out. Um, I mean, I suppose the thinking behind a high price is that even if you already have a Sky or BT subscription or both, um, you know, these matches are not part of that subscription. So it's additional content. And presumably if you if you're not able to go to the grounds if you're if you've um if you've not got a season ticket then you you might have as a fan you might have a bit of a bit of money you would otherwise have been spending on going to matches which you might be prepared to pay for a pay-per-view match so in that context you know compared to a season ticket or a or a, or a, a one-off ticket to the ground which is actually very hard to get um it's a fairly reasonable price but yes, there was a big backlash against um, against this high price because you know a lot of people are facing economic hardship, and it it is like another example of clubs sort of making making people cough up additional money for their for their entertainment. So it's a, it's a difficult one. I I don't I don't think um, certainly uh, Mike Ashley of Newcastle was sort of saying drop it to four ninety five. But at that sort of level, I'm not sure whether there would be, you know, three times as many people buying matches. And for the reasons I said before, you you don't really, you never really know what you're getting. 
so it's it's a difficult one. I think it may be um, that this, you know, we, we'll have to wait and see, um, you know, whether the pay-per-view, the, the pay-per-view experiment is something they're going to continue or whether they'll revert to um, making these additional matches available in some different way. It, it'll be interesting to see. I'm not really sure which way they're going to go. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Project Big Picture there, which is obviously this plan that's put forward by Liverpool and Manchester United and yeah. kind of spectacularly fell on its face with those clubs even ending up voting against it, which <laughs> seemed some kind of some form of irony there. But since since that as well, we've seen re-emergence of talks about a, a European Super League as well. It does just seem as though it's a matter of time until until something really radical happens structurally with the Premier League, but also how all of these rights are managed and everything, doesn't it? Yeah, possibly. I mean, the the the, the sort of European Super League has been um, has been sort of hanging over the the sort of domestic league competitions for for years and years, and that's in a in a way the reason that the Champions League has expanded from from what it used to be and the Europa League um, from, from what it used to be. So it's essentially they're, they're not Champions Leagues anymore because some of the bigger countries obviously have four or five clubs in it, not just the champion club. You know, the whole reason that expanded was to try to stave off the threat of a European Super League, which would basically mean that the, the, the biggest and wealthiest clubs breaking off into a league to, to, to play each other. I, I just I just think there's so much resistance to that idea of a European Super League. It always seems to be a kind of threat. And um, it was it was kind of, you know, you, you could talk for hours about Project Big Picture, about what the real intentions of of um, of the bigger clubs were. But it seems pretty clear that the bigger clubs in the Premier League want more control, want more of a say in how their rights are marketed. And they used, they definitely used the threat of a, of a, of a sort of breakaway to to try to get um, to try to get a better better deal. I think you know the the reason a Super League might not work is is that we already have the Champions League, that it's a very crowded calendar, that I don't think most you know the idea of promotion and relegation is a big part of most European football leagues. And I think many clubs would be really reluctant um, to see that go away because the, the possibility of being promoted uh, means that smaller clubs always have a chance of, of sort of breaking out of the lower leagues and becoming Premier League clubs, as arguably The inverse of that is I've uh, heard a couple of... Um, Big sports investors who are big into the uh, into the NFL, the NBA, mm-hmm. and the MLB over there, and I've seen quotes from people over there saying they wouldn't ever invest in a in a league where their threat of relegation exists. If they're just purely looking at the financial perspective, it's kind of a no brainer, isn't it? I I I just think if you're looking at the financial perspective, um, if you're looking at football clubs as businesses. I think, you know, talking about promotion and relegation is 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 sort of avoiding the elephant in the room, which is the the massive cost base. So every time a club gets into the the Champions League or or, or gets um, you know has a good run in the FA Cup, they they get extra money. Um, and instead of you know some of that money is sort of reinvested in the business and getting and given to shareholders like it like a sort of traditional company. But most of it just goes into the pockets of of players and agents. So, 
as someone outside football, professional football looking in, I think the, the, the big problem is is really the, the sort of profitability of, of, of the game and, and of the larger clubs. A few years ago, many of them tried to go public. They, they, went, they went on the stock market and it was a failure. People didn't really want to invest in them because in comparison with, with most companies, their profit margins are so low and that's because of their ever-increasing cost base. So I think some kind of, some kind of prudence about um, about I can't really realistically see how that would happen because the reason that clubs invest so much in in player wages is because they want more success on the pitch so it's like um you you can't compete um and, unless you do compete in in that field so I think it's I, I think there are you know yes I've heard the the, the sort of the argument that American sports franchises are much more valuable than the big European football franchises, but I think a lot of that is because they they're um, you know they're perhaps um, more aggressive with their marketing. I just I just think you know I I'm, I can't see how not having um, promotion and relegation sort of having the same sort of ten or or, or or twenty or eighteen clubs in each country's Premier League. I I just think fans, I, I, very few fans would would accept that. Even fans of the bigger clubs. The only other point to make about this is that yes, there are big clubs with big support bases and and other clubs that have very small support bases. But all of the big clubs need to play somebody, and that just means they that you know there's always room for smaller clubs as well as as well as the bigger clubs, and there always has to be a competition um, between them. Otherwise, there's no league. That's a that's an argument I've seen against the um, the concept of the Super League as well, because you know a fixture between Manchester United and Bayern Munich is is special if it happens once every three or four years but if it's happening yeah. two times a season then it's just like manchester united playing any other team it's the yeah. the, the, the whole kind of draw of the champions league is the, these kind of mega matches which are so uncommon and that's yeah. kind of the why why people are so invested in it yes and then there's often you know a club like atalanta or, or leicester city which mm. you know which will do very well in one country in one season. So, so you know, it's it's not always the same. I think I think one of the good things is it's not always the same big clubs. Yeah. Um, you know, there there are there are other ones that that sort of come into the picture. Well, I think we could probably chat about this all day, uh, but I think we're just about out of time. So before we go, uh, just give you the opportunity if you want to plug anything, your social medias or anything like that. Uh, yes, I mean my my Twitter uh, handle is Tim W underscore Analyst. Thank you very much, Tim, and uh, I'm sure we'll chat again in the future when some some more lunacy happens around the Premier League. Okay, thanks. Okay, Jonathan. cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So that's our show. Thank you very much to Tim Westcott from Omdia for appearing and thank you for listening. I'll admit it's been a while since the last episode of TV Watch, but we're looking forward to pushing on with more interviews, discussions with figures inside the industry and gaining some more insight which we can share with you. TV Watch is written, produced and mixed by me, Jonathan Easton, and Digital TV Europe's editor is Stuart Thompson. You can find me on Twitter at EastJohnEast or get in touch with me via email at jonathan.easton, E-A-S-T-O-N, at informer.com. We're actively looking for people to get involved with the show, so if you've got a story you think would work well, 
please do drop me a line. You can follow Digital TV Europe at Digital TV Europe on Twitter and at digitaltveurope.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter that will keep you up to speed on all of the latest goings on in the TV industry. And if you're new to the show and would like to be informed when the latest episodes are released, you can subscribe to TV Watch on your preferred podcast platform of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you.